Hey, how you doing again? Happy Sabbath. I want to welcome you to another installation of Mindset, Winning the Battles of the Mind. Indeed, the mind is a beautiful thing, but sometimes the mind can get in the way of what God is trying to do. And so for this month, the Lord inspired my thinking that I need to talk about thoughts, uh, mindset, the battles that are going on in the head. And if you were with me last week, we talked about, think about what you think about. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Uh, that is, what, how are you processing your thought processes? How are they working out? And, and the focus of last week's sermon was to help us to understand that the issue is not so much what's on the outside. The issue is in the mind. And Jesus was saying that for out of the heart... Out of the heart, the mind. So we have to fix the mind if we are to change how we behave, how we speak, how we look at things. That's where the battle is. Today, the Lord inspired me to use 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 1 to verse number 6. So if you have the word of God with you, I want to read beginning in verse 1 all the way to verse number 6. That will be our text of concentration and meditation this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number one, Paul says, now I, Paul, myself, I'm pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence I'm lowly among you, but being absent, I'm bold toward you. I'm reading from the New King James Version this morning. But I beg you that when I'm present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if, as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. That is ironic and that is powerful. I'm going to help you see that a little bit later for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God check this for pulling down stronghold casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity mm -mm -mm, to the obedience of Christ let me just allow that to ring in your head one more time. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Lock them up. Lock them up is the sermon title this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father. Help me to be locked and loaded right now. And help my brother and my sisters to be locked in to this moment. Help them to lock their phones and to unlock their minds. To, un to lock up every distraction. But to unlock focus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
YouTube can be exciting, but YouTube can be annoying. It's exciting because you're able to stream videos. Any kind of video, you're able to stream it. In fact, when Frankie wants to share with me an idea, he often send me a YouTube video. Ain't that right, Frankie? You want me to watch the video, and it's nice, it's, it's, it's good, and, 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 and many of us watch different kind of videos on YouTube, but we know, Putra, that YouTube can also be annoying, especially with its ads. And an hour-long video may have like 20 ads, and you're like, man, am I ever going to watch this video? This is really annoying. This is really getting on my nerves. And sometimes our thoughts are like YouTube ads. They find a way to interrupt us. They find a way to get on our nerves. Our thoughts can interrupt a good day. Our thoughts can interrupt a good mood. Our thoughts can interrupt a good night. A good day may be interrupted by what somebody said to you. That was off or disrespectful. A good night can be interrupted by the bills that you must pay. Now, now you see in my YouTube experience, I, I looked around to figure out how can I deal with these annoying, interrupting ads. So I decided to install on my web browser, Gun, I installed an ad blocker. Now, for a while, I was able to dance and enjoy uninterrupted videos. But YouTube found a workaround that every time I played a video with an ad blocker, there was an error that read, your video has an error. I would try to refresh, to refresh the web browser, but I would get the same message there's a, an error in this video. As soon as I turned off the ad blocker, my videos were no longer interrupted by an error message. Basically, YouTube was letting me know that YouTube is boss. And as long as I don't follow their 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 principles that ads must play with videos, I cannot enjoy videos on YouTube and it is like that sometimes that our thoughts let us know that they're boss sometimes you don't understand but those thoughts keep playing in your head and in your mind you can't sleep you can't focus you can't do anything it's like you're in a state of paralysis you are stuck you try to read the scripture, but the thought keeps playing in your head. You try to talk to your friend, but the thought keeps playing in your head. You try to carry on a conversation, but the thought keeps playing in your head. Your, head, your thoughts are telling you, hey, I'm boss. I run things around here. So while talking to a friend about my ad interruptions, I discovered a foolproof, a foolproof method in dealing with these interrupting ads. 
I decided to pay for the premium option. And after paying for the premium option, I no longer see ads. I am no longer interrupted by ads. Thoughts, those ads no longer have power over me. Those ads no longer control my videos. I'm no longer frustrated. I'm no longer upset. I no longer shut down my YouTube videos because I'm frustrated. Now I can sit back, put my feet up, pop some popcorn, and watch me a video uninterrupted. What if you and I could also do that with our thoughts? What if you and I could lock up our thoughts in such a way that they no longer control us? I now look at ads on YouTube and I say to those ads, you are under, under lock and key in a prison cell called the privilege of a premium YouTube option. Those ads are now under a lock and key. I locked them up. What if you also locked up your thoughts? What if your thoughts did not control you? What if you controlled your thoughts? And you might tell me, Pastor, how is that even possible? You don't understand my thought life. You don't know what's going on with me. You don't know how dark my thoughts are. Allow me to impress you with what Paul says. He says, bring every thought into captivity. It tells me that your thoughts can be locked up. It tells me that it is possible to lock up your thoughts. It tells me that you can be in the driver's seat of your thought life. And you can put those thoughts in the back seat. For sure, some of our thoughts need to become POWs. Some of our thoughts need to be locked up. Some of them need to be put on death row. Some of them need to be locked up. Some of them need to be put away. We haven't been thinking the right way. And I want you to understand that it is possible to control your mind. It is possible to put a chain around your mind and to live a life that is not, is not controlled uh, by thoughts. Allow me to tell you that thoughts thrive in the flesh. That what we need to consider and contemplate if we are to really lock up our thoughts, if we are to control our thoughts, is that thoughts thrive in the flesh. You see, Paul has received a serious allegation. And that allegation is this. He lives a life according to the flesh. Paul is being charged with a charge that can discharge him from his role as pastor, preacher, or prophet. You see, for a man of God to be charged with the charge that he lives according to the flesh, it means that that man of God is not qualified to be a man of God. You see, Paul used a ministry of letters. Most of the writings of Paul are given to us through a letter. Romans is a letter. First and Second Corinthians is a letter. Titus is a letter. Timothy, first and two, is a letter. Hebrews, maybe or not, is a letter. Paul wrote letters. 
because Paul did not want to approach people in a way that was going to damage their, their motivation for Christ. He did not want to be harsh with them. And so in order to deal with heart issues in a soft way, Paul would write letters. But those who read the letters, especially in 2 Corinthians, they considered Paul uh, to act with people in their face in a certain way, but behind their back to also act in another way. So they are saying to Paul, Paul, you are acting in a two-faced manner. Uh, they are saying, Paul, Paul, you are a cat who is trying to roar like a lion. Now you see for any regular human being or any other person who is not a, a pastor or a man of God like Paul was, to be two-faced, to tell people one thing and tell them another thing, that was okay. But for somebody like Paul, that was not okay. But what they misunderstood was this. Paul wrote letters because he actually wanted to help them. He didn't want to come to them in anger and in frustration. He wanted to land the blow in an easy way that they could understand. But they misunderstood his motives. And they say that this preacher, this man of God, is living according to the flesh. The flesh refers to rebellion against God to serve sin. The flesh refers to rebellion against God to serve sin. Paul put it like this for us to understand what it means to live in the flesh. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It is rebellious to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor indeed it can be. You see, the flesh is like a child that rebels against his parents, but follows his friends. You see, that child thinks that he cannot click with his parents, but can click with his with his buddies. He thinks that his parents are outdated. He thinks that his parents don't understand it. And they don't get it. And so his friends get it. His buddies get it. And so they click. Hear me right here. You see our thoughts thrive in the flesh. Because they click with the flesh. Our thoughts thrive in the flesh. Because they click in the flesh. In other words, our thoughts and our flesh, they are buddies. They speak the same language. You see, sometimes uh, the flesh will tell you, you need to get more. The flesh has this desire to have more. And so the flesh can inspire you to to work harder, to get more hours at work, and to put in more time at work, to get that new phone, to get that new car, to get this new, new, new gadget, to get that new pair of shoes. But if the flesh cannot get it legitimately, a thought can enter the brain, let's go steal it. 
And so because the flesh wants to get more and the thought, the thought process click with the flesh and the, the thought is let's go steal it, the flesh will not stop the thought and it will move based upon that thought and it will steal in order for you to have what you want to have. The, the, the thought, the thoughts are like barnacles. You see, barnacles are in the cra crab and lobster family. Uh, barnacles, they start off as free living organisms. But in order for barnacles uh, to thrive, to thrive, they need to attach to a hard surface. And so what barnacles do is that barnacles will attach themselves uh, to bottoms of sea of boats uh, barnacles will attach themselves to piers barnacles will attach themselves to rocks or uh, turtle turtle shells the picture i have there on the screen is barnacles have to attach themselves to to pillars at a pier because barnacles can only thrive if they attach themselves to a hard surface Hear me carefully. This is a gospel truth. I need you to understand. Your flesh is a hard surface that has been hardened by sin. And therefore your thoughts thrive in the flesh because your flesh is a hard surface. It's sad sometimes when you see what barnacles are able to do to turtles. That is, they can overwhelm a turtle in such a manner that a turtle is overwhelmed by barnacles. In such a way that its flippers no longer move freely. In such a way that its eyes can no longer direct its vision. In such a way that it can no longer hunt for food. In such a way that a turtle simply has to wait on water. And it has to leave the water and just get on the beach. Because it is no longer able to thrive. Because it has barnacles on them. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? That your thoughts have attached themselves to you. Like barnacles. They don't allow you to free to greater depths of development. They don't allow you to be where God has called you to be. You just feel weighed down. You just feel that things are attached on you. That you can no longer move freely. That jealousy has attached itself on you. That when you see somebody else elevating, you see, why can I not be there as well that thought that thought has attached on you is that you can never be good at anything and therefore you never try and make an effort therefore you are find yourself in a situation that you feel like you cannot be good for anything doesn't it feel that you are just weighed down by these negative thoughts all the time all you see is negativity all you see is bad and you, you can't swim. You can't, you can't develop. Some of us are living life weighed down by thoughts. Our thoughts are attached to us and keeping us down.
And we are not elevating to where God is calling us to elevate. I don't know if I'm speaking to you this morning. I'm speaking to myself because sometimes my thoughts are not good thoughts. And sometimes I do not know what to do with my thoughts. Let me allow you to be unlocked this morning. What you need to understand is that thoughts will shrivel if you don't fight according to the flesh. Thoughts will shrivel if you don't fight according uh, to, the fre- to the flesh. Uh, you see, Paul is saying, uh, my, 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 my body sweats. Uh, my body moves. My body eats. My body sleeps. That is my flesh. That is what Paul means by the flesh right here. That my physical body, yes, has capabilities, but I do not tap into its resources. I'm coming. Frankie, I'm coming. I don't tap into its resources because it can't help me. Paul is saying, though I walk weakly, though I am not strong, but I fight like Superman. I fight like I'm strong. I don't fight according to the flesh. I don't fight according to the flesh. I fight on a different level. I use an entirely different tactic. I don't fight on the low level. I fight on a higher level. Listen to me right here. Paul is saying, I have had to change the game in order to win the game. I can no longer attack my thought life the same way I was attacking them. Jesus Christ entered my life. He changed the game and therefore I am living a different thought life. Uh, Let me put it to you in a way that maybe you can understand and appreciate what I'm trying to tell you. You see, I have been blessed uh, to fly on Garuda, Indonesia. That was my first and only time, but I I flew on Garuda, Indonesia. Now, I need you to understand that when you've been flying like me on low-budget airlines, you get used to delays. Mm -hmm. You get used to long queues. You get used to your flight being changed. You get on the plane, you're sitting in F-20, but your luggage is in F-36. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. But then when I flew on Garuda, Indonesia, the, the, the carrier, the flagship carrier of Indonesia, it was an entirely different experience. And I was shocked at every turn. I, bo- I, I checked in on time. I sat at the gate. I boarded on time. I sat in my seat and my luggage was above my seat. I got to eat on the plane Mm -mm -mm -mm. and it was nice and I enjoyed the experience. When the plane landed, I didn't have to go down some steps and get on a bus and travel to the terminal building. I got off the plane and went directly into the terminal building. And man, when I got done with the flight, I told myself, I looked at myself, I said, man, today, Frankie, I have flown on a different level. I have fought on a different level. Hear me carefully. 
thoughts will shrivel if you will fight on a different level. That means you cannot fly and fight on the same level that you've been flying on. Uh, you need to experience, like Paul, uh, fighting the thought life on Garuda, uh, Indonesia. Now, now, you see, I need you to understand. Paul did not achieve this level because he applied some self-help gimmick. Paul did not go to a conference. Paul did not read a book. Paul did not talk to his friends. Paul was able to elevate on this level because his experience with Jesus changed him. I'm coming. You see, because of Jesus, Paul received what we call the fruit of the Spirit. And because of the fruit of the Spirit, he received joy. He received love. He received kindness. He received self-control. And therefore, when he was now approaching his thought life, he no longer thought the same way. He thought in a loving way. He thought in a kind way. He thought in a self-controlled way. And therefore, when somebody tempted him to get angry, he said, I'm not going to get angry. I'm going to be self-controlled. Because God has changed me. That's what God does for you when you accept him. He elevates you to another level. This is what you need to do when you begin every day. Lord, it's a new day. It's a Saturday, February 13th. Yes, Lord, I'm going to serve you. Yes, Lord, I'm going to do this and this for you. But you know what, Lord? I need you to help me to win the battle. You get on your knees and you pray for your thoughts. You pray for your day. You ask him, Lord, please today, give me victory. Elevate me. Yesterday I struggled with lust. Lord, today cannot be the same. Give me victory. Your word says, there has no temptation taken me, but such is coming to man, but God is going to make me achieve and succeed. Lord, yesterday I got angry at my wife, at my husband. But Lord, you have said in your word, let not your son go down in your anger. Lord, yesterday, I was so anxious and worried about what's going on. But Lord, you have said, do not worry. Therefore, Lord, today I'm praying that you would give me victory. So when you elevate yourself like that, what you begin to see is that you're going to be fighting on a different level. Your thoughts are going to be on a different level. And therefore, you're going to be in control. You're going to be able to lock them up. You see... When I flew on Garuda that day, I didn't book this ticket for myself. It was a gift. <laughs> Listen to me carefully. It was a gift. So I flew on this level because it was a gift. Paul flew on this level because it was a gift. You have been gifted with Jesus. And when you accept the gift of Jesus in your life and what he can do through, your, through the spirit, then oh my goodness, you're going to fly on a, on, a, on a higher level. Now check this. A ticket for Garuda and a ticket for AirAsia are not the same price. You understand what I'm saying? A ticket on Garuda requires, requires you to pay more. <laughs> Listen to me carefully. It requires you to pay more for the experience. Uh, let me put it in a way that you can understand. It requires sacrifice and investment. 
What Paul did was a sacrifice the natural and invest in the supernatural. Ooh, I'm going to let you get that in a minute. You see, when Paul gave his life over to Jesus, what he did was he sacrificed his natural self. Paul was educated. Paul had a PhD. He was up there. But he sacrificed the natural tendencies and capabilities and powers and he invested himself in Christ. Paul lost position in Jerusalem. Paul had to go around preaching the gospel. Paul had to earn money for himself in order to eat and, and to serve God. That is sacrifice. But he was sacrificing what was natural for the supernatural. Le LeBron James. LeBron James. Frankie, LeBron James. Uh, Elder Ray, if you're watching this, LeBron James. You see, LeBron James is 36 years old. And he has played NBA basketball for 18 seasons. You see, at 36, and after playing 18 years in the NBA, players should be retiring. I'm coming. Players should be saying, I'm going to retire. But LeBron James, in his 18th season, at the age of 36, is chasing the MVP, the most valuable player in the whole of NBA, in the whole of the, the league. And not only is he chasing an NBA title, LeBron James is chasing uh, not only an MVP, but he's also chasing a title. In fact, he says, I'm going to play until I'm over 40. He simply says, I will keep on playing until I'm tired of playing. Most players end their career because of injury and the body can't go no more. But LeBron James is still thriving. You know why? Because LeBron James makes sacrifices and investments. LeBron James sacrifices junk food. And he invests $2 million a year on his nutrition. Listen to me carefully. We need to sacrifice the natural and invest in the supernatural. We need to make moves in such a way that we're going to put in more in our spiritual life, in our thought life, in the things that are not natural to us if we are to be on that level, if we are to elevate our thought life. And so we need to sacrifice the natural for the supernatural. Allow me to bring it closer to you. Not everything that is spiritual is whole food. Some of it is junk food. Listen to me carefully. Not everything that you listen to, not every sermon that you hear is good for you. Not every devotional that you read is good for you. Not every little uh, uh, quote that you come across is good for you. Not every little video uh, that talks about God is good for you. It simply might be spiritual junk food, not whole food. I'm coming. Many of us, I think, are living on spiritual junk food, not spiritual whole food. Listen to me. You see, spiritual junk food looks like this. You're getting up in the morning and rushing out the door. Lord, thank you for the day. Don't take time to pray. Just going out the door. That's spiritual junk food. Yes, you prayed. But how deep did your prayer go? It's, it's a prayer. But how nutritious is that prayer for your spiritual life? Spiritual junk food looks like this. Getting in the morning, reading a, a verse that is out of context and a few thoughts that somebody has written. Oh, this is inspiration. It's nice. 
and you don't spend time reading the word and studying the context, spiritual junk food. Spiritual junk food is listening to Pastor Henry inspire you and you feel good for the moment, but it doesn't create momentum for the rest of the week. And unless we invest in the, in the supernatural, we cannot win the battle in the natural. And the way you do that is you, you in, ingest, you ingest spiritual whole food. Because when you ingest into spiritual whole food, you tap into God's power. You know how it is. You eat that gorengan in the morning. It makes you feel tired. You don't have no energy. You, you know what I'm talking about? Because the, the fat has entered your system and it is slowing the speed of your blood. But man, when you eat that, that, when you eat that fruit and, and you, eat, you eat that oats or you eat that, that nasi, uh, that, that rice, that whole grain rice and that tofu and that sayur, man, you feel different. You feel like you are ready to conquer the world. And that's what we need to understand. That when we ingest spiritually and make sure that we're eating spiritually whole food, we are tapping into God's power. So are you investing supernaturally? Are you simply investing naturally? Uh, let me give you another gospel, gospel nugget right here. You see, the might of God is the key that locks up the thoughts. When the might of God is in you, that is the key that will keep your thoughts under control, under lock and key. You see, when a turtle is carrying barnacles, that barnacles have attached themselves to the turtle, the turtle can't swim. It needs a mite outside of itself in order for the, for the barnacles to be removed. And you will see a lot of times turtles will swim close to boats because the turtle is pleading for the mercy of the fishermen to help the turtle remove the barnacles because the turtle understands that it needs a power outside of itself in order to get rid of the barnacles and that's your experience and mine we need a power outside of ourselves in order to deal with in order to deal with the thoughts that are locking us down. You see, the turtle understands a human being is at a higher position than me. It sits at a higher position than me. And you and myself need to understand that the might of God is higher than our status. It is higher than who we are. And that is why Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. He's saying, I am not fighting the, the fight because of my might. I am fighting the fight because God has helped me. His power has touched me. Because here is the thing. 
using God's weapons brings you under his might, which makes you a force to be reckoned with. Notice what Paul says. For the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God. Paul recognizes a fact that I hope you recognize. He says, I tap into God's power because of the weapons that are available to me. I'll put it like this. You see, the Indonesian government has made a power available to every Indonesian citizen. That is called BPJS. Mm -mm. You see, if you have the BPJS, you can use this weapon and you can go to the hospital and meet a doctor and can give you a prescription or a diagnosis over your disease or whatever you have going on. But in order for you to use the weapon called BPJS, you need to apply. You need to make effort. You need to do something that you can do within your power. And so Paul says, you know what? God's power is available, but what I do to tap into that power is I pray. I study the scripture. I serve. I, 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 I act in righteousness. I exercise my faith. So I apply the weapons that are available to me. And through these weapons, God makes his power available to me. Am I preaching or what? Are you hearing the word of God right here? This is truth for you to use in your thought life. You see, prayer can be, to me, one of the most useless things. Huh? Look at this. You get on your knees. You start talking to somebody you don't see. What is that going to do for your bills? What is that going to do for your bills? You get on your knees, you, you talk to somebody you can't see. What is that going to do for your health? You get on your knees and, and you talk to somebody you don't see. What is that going to do about your work troubles? You get on your knees and you talk to somebody you don't see. What is that going to do about your relationship problems? It, it seems to me one of the most useless things to do. But yet, prayer is the means that God has established as a weapon. What does prayer do? Prayer is like a channel that activates the might of God. Mm, let, me, let me tell it to you. Let me tell it to you. You see, when you pray, when you get on your knees, you say to yourself, I'm not going to focus on my bills. I'm not going to focus on my relationship problems. I'm not going to focus on the fact that I'm not healthy. I am looking at somebody who has the power. I'm looking at somebody who can help me. So the focus is not on me. The focus is on God. And because I have the eye of faith to look at God. Therefore, God recognizes your faith. And then he gives you his power. Amen. So to pray has no power if you don't have faith. To read the scriptures has no power if you don't have faith. To preach the gospel has no power if you don't have faith. To serve God has no power if you don't have faith. The exercise is not the power, but it is in whom the exercise focuses on. That's why prayer is important. That is why I keep preaching day and night. You need to read the word of God. That is why exercising your faith is important. It's because of what you tap into, the power. 
Now you see, Paul did not define the, the weapons in this text, but he emphasized what the weapons do. He emphasized how the weapons he applies, how effective they are. So he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Mm. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your disobedience is fulfilled. You see, the weapons, their effectivity, their power is, they lock up every thought that disobeys Christ. That's what Paul is saying. The effectivity of these weapons is that they lock up every thought that disobeys Christ. Uh, what does a thought that disobeys Christ look like? Procrastination is a thought that disobeys Christ. Laziness is a thought that disobeys Christ. Unwillingness to serve or take a position in church disobeys Christ. Not wanting to attend worship services because you think you're so busy. It's not exciting for you. It's a thought that disobeys Christ. So a thought that disobeys Christ is any thought that rebels against God to serve sin, that is a thought that disobeys Christ. So Paul is saying that the weapons I'm using, they help me to deal with any thought that disobeys Christ. So for example, you have unwillingness to serve and get involved. When you read the scriptures, the scriptures are going to tell you that you are a member of a body and that you're supposed to supply your part to the body. So now your thought of unwillingness is confronted. You realize, oh my goodness, this thought is not good. Therefore, what do you do with that thought? You don't say, I'm going to continue to be unwilling. No. You say, Lord, I'm sorry for being unwilling. You pray about it. And the scriptures give you the power and you let it go. That is what Paul is talking about. How the weapons that he uses are able to destroy thoughts that disobey Christ. That is how he's able to lock them up. He confronts them through the scriptures. And when they're confronted through the scriptures, he finds what God says about the thought. Then when it does not align with what God says, he throws it and locks it up so that it obeys Christ. And that's what you can do as well for your thought life. You need to take every thought that you have. I don't know what thoughts you're thinking right now, but you need to take it. Put it in line with the word of God. Let the word of God tell you about it. And if the word of God and your thinking are not in line... You better give way to the word of God. Throw that thought, lock it up, let it obey Jesus Christ. You see, in this text, Paul uses a metaphor. He envisions himself like a soldier ready to attack a city. This is what he says. The first thing he says, we destroy strongholds so there is destruction. Then he says, we take every thought captive. When you have destroyed a city, you take prisoners of war. So he says, we take them captives. There is a capture. Then after you capture, Paul says, I punish. In other words, what Paul is saying, when I've captured my thoughts, I bring them into punishment. That is, if the thought does not fit Jesus, I tell the thought, thought, as good as you are, 
As nice as you are, as much as I love you, I cannot keep you because you are not following what Jesus is telling me. So we must, listen to me carefully, we must approach the battle of the mind actively, not passively. That's what Paul is saying. I attack it. I'm not passive. I don't let the thoughts rule me. I rule the thoughts. I analyze them. I use the word of God and I, I take care of them. Three things you need to do. You need to be a soldier. You need to be a guard. And you need to be a judge. You must fight the thought. And then you must take it captive. And then you must judge it. Is it for Jesus or not for Jesus? And when you have done that, then you can, you can say to yourself, I am obeying Jesus or I'm disobeying, disobeying him. I'm living for Jesus or I'm not living for Jesus. We shouldn't let our thoughts run us or rule us. We got to take control using the weapons that God has given to us. You see, a prison guard has the responsibility to care and to custodian over prisoners. His duty is to make sure that prisoners never escape. His duty is to make sure that prisoners serve their sentence. If somebody's in there for 10 years, they need to be there for 10 years. And only after 10 years are completed can a prison guard let them go. And some prisoners need to be there for life or even be put on death row. So he can never allow those prisoners to go to go out because they are not safe to run out into society. You see, you need to be a prison guard over your thought life. The prison cell is obedience to Christ. Every thought that is not in line with Jesus needs to be thrown into the prison. If it's a thought that only needs to be there for 10 years, it needs to be rehabilitated and after being rehabilitated, can go back safely into society. That is, affect your thoughts and your actions. Then let it go out. But if some thoughts, you know that they're murderous thoughts, they're envious thoughts, they're jealous thoughts. Those thoughts need to be locked in and die in the obedience of, of Jesus. They need to die in there. You and I have that responsibility. Will you say, you know what, Pastor? I will be a prison guard over my thought life. I will make sure that I keep them locked in if they need to be locked in. I'll make sure that they are rehabilitated in such a way that they represent Jesus in how I live, in how I talk, and how I handle my life. But if they are not in line with Jesus, I'm not going to allow them to run my life. I will fight on a different level. I will not fight according to the flesh, but I will fight according to the level of Jesus Christ. I will use the weapons that God has given to me. I will pray. I will study. I will get in it because I do not want my thoughts to run me. I want to run my thoughts. I want to be able to lock them up. Every head is bowed. Every set of eyes is closed as we pray. Heavenly Father, strengthen us today to guard over our thought life. To be in control of our thoughts. Lock them up if we need to. Give us the strength, Lord, to invest 
in the supernatural more than the natural. Because we believe, Father, when we invest in the supernatural, we're going to win in the natural. My brother and my sister have heard the word. It has touched them, convicted them, cut them. I don't know what it has done. But, Father, I pray that it may bless them and strengthen them to be what God is calling them to be, what you want them to be. Thank you, Father, as we fight the battles of the mind. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.